Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Praise God. Okay, we're talking about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This is lesson number 10. We've had some interruptions as far as the series is concerned. But would you agree with me that it's all about Jesus? Is this book all about Jesus? From beginning to end, it's all about Jesus? And if you don't believe me on that, just read Revelation chapter 5. And see when he was sitting on the throne, he had a book written within on the backside, sealed with seven seals, and a strong angel came with a loud voice saying, who's able to take the book and loose the seals thereof? And, and no one was found worthy to take the book, and neither to look thereon. And so he <laughs> began to weep, he wept much, but one of the elders says, behold, weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, he had prevailed to take the book and loose the seals thereof. Remember that story right there? No creature in heaven, no creature on earth, and no creature beneath the earth was able to take the book, neither to look thereon. There was only one in all the universe. You know how many they say people are featured in the Bible? Depending on which one you believe, uh, I've seen two figures here. One is a little bit over 3,000, like 3,200 and some, and the other one is 2,900 and like 31 figures featured in the Bible, people in the Bible. That's the Bible. That's just the Bible. Not one of them is worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof. But there's only one. And what's his name? Jesus. It's all about who? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Alpha, Omega, beginning, end, first and last, everything in between. It's all about Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. The God man. Amen. So he's not just another religious leader, is he? No, it's all about him. And so we thank God for that. <clears throat> now in our last lesson, we talked about our redemption. In Christ provides for us salvation, deliverance, healing, provision, protection, and the list goes on and on. It all belongs to us in Christ. It's already finished. It's already completed. The finished work of Christ provides all that for us. Plus, the finished work of Christ, you and I are his workmanship. One translation says we are his masterpiece. Aren't you glad you're his masterpiece? You know, you talk about masterpiece. When uh, Michelangelo, uh, remember he sculpted David in Italian, Davide? Just David, okay? He saw a piece of marble that was cast aside. It was no good. And when he saw it, he saw David inside that no good discarded piece of marble. And so he sculpted David, that became his masterpiece, and that ushered in him into another realm as far as being a skilled sculptor. And someone asked him, how did you do that? We all saw that as a discarded piece of marble that was no good. He said, all I did was took everything that was no good away from it. Jesus did that for you. He sculpted you. You are his masterpiece. You are his workmanship. So we should smile real big. When you look in the mirror in the morning, I'm a masterpiece. His masterpiece. And I understand he's a pretty good craftsman. He's a great carpenter. Would you agree to that? Amen. As we continue our study, I want us to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 
and the first 13 verses. Now, if you've been coming on Wednesday night services, you're going to hear a repeat of some things, but bear with me because you want to be walking in love and share it with the whole body, right? Amen. So we want to make sure everybody gets all the right information. But look at these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Moreover, brethren, I would not that you should be ignorant how that all of our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea and did all eat the same spiritual meat and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was, who was the rock? You wonder why 11 million gallons of water can come out of a rock? Christ did it. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. Uh Uh-oh. For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted, neither be idolaters as as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. If that's not a message for today, I don't know what is. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured. Notice he's outlining some of the things that displeased God and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for and samples and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you are able but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Well thanks be to God. Paul uses the journey from Egypt to Canaan's land as an example of our journey from coming out of the world into the finished work of Christ. And in that period, that interim period, we talk about mind renewal and transformation. Because we came out of the world, we have a new life in Christ. But even though we are in Christ, we don't have a revelation of the finished work of Christ at the beginning of our journey. And along the way, we're supposed to learn everything we could possibly can. Because you see, the Canaan's land is a place of rest. And Jesus is our rest. And we rest in him and in his finished work. Just as the father rested on the seventh day from his finished work. We're also to rest in Christ. So the work's already been done. But we don't know all that. We learn that along the way. During our journey from the world into the finished work of Christ. Which is our place of rest. Well, they failed to enter in under Moses. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 26 and verse 1 because we have three things here stated that will help us better understand our journey. And it shall be when thou art come in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. Thank God Jesus is our inheritance. And possessed it and dwell therein. Notice the three things here. Number one, we come to the land. Number two, we possess the land. And number three, we dwell in the land. So in other words, we've got to come to the land. Come unto me, Jesus said, all you that labor heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Learn of me. Learn of me. So we come to him. We possess it by learning what belongs to us and by declaring or decreeing in agreement with what the word says is ours. And then we begin to dwell in it, and that means we walk in the light of it. So in other words, its effect upon us is a positive and powerful one that we begin to live and walk as he wants us to. 
So we walk in him. Okay, so they failed to do that under Moses. Look at under Moses. His leadership brought them out of Egypt and it brought them to the land, but they never entered into the land. They didn't possess it and they didn't dwell therein. So look at the book of Hebrews and you'll see here in chapter uh, 3, beginning at verse 10, this was written for our understanding so that we can know what to do and what not to do in our journey into the rest of Christ's finished work. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation. This is God speaking. And said, they do always err in their heart. They've not known my ways. See, it's a process of learning. Come unto me and learn of me, Jesus said. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. You know, when it says God swore, it means he lifted up his hand. You know how they tell us to, when you're in a court of law, raise your right hand, right? Well, God raised his hand and just said, I swear in my wrath, you will not enter my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter his rest? But to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in. Why? What's the official reason? Because of unbelief. Unbelief. Unbelief is something that we all have to deal with. Remember the man that says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Remember Jesus said all things are possible to him that believes. Okay, because we're in this warfare. We'll see that in just a moment. But look in the book of Joshua, because under Joshua's leadership, guess what? They succeeded. Would you rather follow those that failed or those that succeeded? How about the rest of you? Would you rather follow those that failed or those that succeeded? Okay. Well, under the leadership of Joshua, they not just came to the land. They possessed the land. And they dwelt in the land. And here's the one verse I'm going to pull out of this. You know the story of Jericho's walls coming down. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. And they took the city. Would you say they succeeded? They absolutely did succeed. They got into their promised land. Those walls were no match for the God that they serve. Now, what's the difference between the two? Well, under Moses' leadership, he couldn't get them to believe that God already gave them the land, and all they had to do was shout. Moses couldn't get them to understand that. They tried to tell them, the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. He's already won the battle for us. All you've got to do is go in there and shout. But you see, he couldn't get them to believe that. But under the leadership of Joshua, God taught them faith through Joshua's teaching and God gave him what to teach and he also taught them how to shout. So when they got to the promised land, all they had to do was shout and the walls came down. Now that's not a very good military strategy <laughs> when you're thinking about warfare. 
right? But how many of you know that when God is on your side, all you have to do is shout. If he's on your team and you're on his, all you have to do is shout. You ready to learn how to shout this morning? <laughs> We're going to give you seven things to shout about. And these are the lessons that Joshua taught the new breed, the new generation. Now, if you're familiar with the story, what you understand is this. Those that were 19 and under lived still. Those that were 20 and older died in the wilderness over that 40-year period, right? So we're talking about he began to deal with these people that were 19 and under, and he raised up a new generation, a new breed of people, a people of faith. So in other words, to get rid of the unbelief that was evident inside all those other people who wouldn't believe, the generation had to die off. That's an alarming thing, wouldn't you say? Remember when Jesus could not do many works over there in Nazareth, his home hometown, and it says because of their what? Unbelief. unbelief. Next verse, so he went about teaching. He went about teaching. But if the ears are closed at the teaching of God's word, then people won't change what they believe. And they couldn't get them to change. Moses couldn't get them to change. As much as he tried, he could not get them to change. So he raised up a new generation from 19 and under, under Joshua's leadership, and they were taught seven principles. And these are the ones I want to share with you. We did this on a Wednesday night, but I was instructed of the Lord to share it with you as well. And it would be very impacting in people's lives. It would really help us succeed. Number one, first principle. And these are shouting principles. And they should make us all shout. Because remember, all you have to do is shout in the promised land, right? What's the principle number one? The enemy is defeated. You know, Joshua back then under Moses' leadership said, hey, the enemy's bred for us, right? They're bred for us. God's on our side. We can't lose. He's on our side. Enemies defeated. Their hearts melted within them. And guess what? They picked up stones to stone them. They did. And God had to protect them from being killed from these people. All he said was the enemy's defeated. But they didn't shout. Look at Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. And I'll show you. Uh, where Jesus fulfilled this. It came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, and all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. So there it is. That's the first stop along the way in our journey. Guys, the enemy is defeated. Their hearts melted within them. Their defenses depart from them. So guess what? No, no problem getting into the promised land. They've already conceded the land. You know, that is absolutely a truth that they conceded the land. And you know, when Rahab the harlot saw the two spies that came in to spy out the land all these years later, said, what took you so long? We gave you up the land 40 years ago. What took you so long? That's what she said. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 the enemy is defeated. Well, guess what? For as much as his children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Who's that talking about? Jesus. Why? So that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death that is the devil. Has your enemy been defeated? Has the devil been defeated? Amen. He sure has. He and his kingdom have been overthrown by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Our enemy is defeated. And that is something to shout about. 
Hallelujah. So what is it that we're facing in this life? It's been defeated. Any situation, any circumstance, any difficulty, it has been defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Our enemy has been defeated. And this is how he wants us to view our enemy. In the book of Isaiah, notice chapter 40. You, do you realize where this expression came from? Ever hear of the expression, drop in a bucket? Came from the Bible. That's where it came from. Here it is. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. Next verse. All nations before him are as nothing, and they are counted to him less than nothing. What's less than nothing? I thought nothing was nothing. But in the eyes of God, they're less than nothing in vanity. What's he saying? If you go back and see that he's talking about the existing nations, the Egyptians, the Amorites, the, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, the termites, and all the other mites. In the sight of God, they're like a drop in a bucket. Dust, a, just a particle of dust. They saw those giants humongous before them, incapable of defeating them, and so on. But he said, look, those nations are but a drop in a bucket compared to me. Not even like a speck of dust. And you fear them? Why not fear me? Look at Isaiah 30. At first three verses. 31. Woe to them that go down to Egypt for help. And stay on horses. And trust in chariots. Because they are many. And in horsemen because they are very strong. But they look not unto the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Yet he also is wise and will bring evil and will not call back his words, but will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the help of them that work iniquity. Now the Egyptians are men, not God, and their horses flesh, not spirit. When the Lord shall stretch out his hand, both he that helpeth shall fall, and he that is hoping shall fall down, and they, shall, they all shall fall or fail together. He was telling them, look, don't get your eyes on the enemy. Their chariots and their horses and their horsemen and how strong they are, how skilled they are in battle. Get your eyes on on me because you see some trust in chariots and some trust in horses but David says we will remember the name of the Lord our God they are brought down and fallen but we are risen and stand up rightly because we look to him not to ourselves not to our own strength or ability look we've got a choice to make we can try to do it on our own or we can do it through the power of God I'd rather shout my way to victory through the power of God number two is we are in a covenant relationship with God. Look in Joshua chapter 5 and verse 2. At that time the Lord said, to, now remember I want you to see yourself in a class setting, classroom setting. Joshua is teaching these people and he's saying, uh, okay point number two. Point number two is the Lord instructed me to tell you. Point number two is that you're in a covenant relationship with him. And the Lord said to Joshua, make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Okay, circumcision stands for what? The blood covenant relationship that Israel had with Jehovah. 
And Abraham was told to cut the covenant, circumcise, etc., etc. And so these, some of these were not circumcised, so he made sure that they were circumcised because it was a sign of the covenant that they had with God. Well, in the book of Hebrews chapter 8, and sometimes I just, I just kind of, I guess, chuckle a little bit. But they were the Israelites, and they had a covenant with God, and God was their God, and they were his people. But now has he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them he saith, behold the days come saith the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So the fault was with whom? The people. People could never keep a covenant with God. He made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But if you remember the story back in the book of Genesis, you find out that he caused a deep sleep to come upon him. Only way he could keep the covenant is by sleeping. <laughs> and not being awake. <laughs> Unless you can sin in your sleep, I don't know. But you understand that first covenant was a covenant that made a way for the Savior of the world to come in. Okay? The Messiah. That's what that was about. And now that he has come, he made a new covenant. And that covenant is found in the precious blood of Jesus. And that covenant is not between God and sinful man. The covenant is between God the Father and God the Son. And last I checked, neither one of them can fail. They just can't fail. Look at the book of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, and I believe... This is from the English Standard Version of the Bible. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Boy, if this doesn't speak to your heart, as long as Jesus stayed upon the earth and was still alive, it wouldn't have been a, an everlasting covenant. But I'm telling you, once he shed his blood, it's the blood of the covenant, and took his blood to the high court of heaven, and presented it right there before the throne of Almighty God, and sprinkled it upon the mercy seat and the heavenly utensils of worship. God the Father saw that blood and said, yes, you and I are in covenant relationship for the whole entire human race. And praise God, anyone that comes to me now can come and receive eternal life and a blessed inheritance that they have in you. So God the Father, God the Son entered into a covenant where they negotiated the terms of the contract or the covenant beforehand and said, hmm, let's see, let's forgive all their sins. Yes, let's heal all their diseases. Yes, let's deliver them from all the powers of darkness. Oh, absolutely, we'll do that as well. Let's give them an eternal place with us in glory, rapture them out of the, out of the world. You know, all those things belong to every child of Almighty God. It's our inheritance. If that doesn't make you shout, get a new shouter. Pick one up at Walmart. Now, in the book of uh, Revelation, chapter 11, verse 19, and this is, I just threw this in there just for sport. You ready for some sport this morning? Is that okay with you? All right. Where's the Ark of the Covenant? The raiders of the lost Ark are still trying to find where. Where is it? 
Did you know for 500 years that the second temple did not have an Ark of the Covenant? How many of you knew that? How many didn't knew that? <laughs> didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. There was only an empty room. And when Pompey went in, General Pompey went in and with AD 63 and to seize, to seize, it was before, seize Jerusalem. His one request was to go into the most holy place so he can see what was so intriguing about the most holy place. And when he got in there and he looked around, he said, what's the big deal about this empty room? It was an empty room. There was no Ark of the Covenant. It wasn't seen since Babylonian captivity. And when they built the second temple, there was no Ark of the Covenant there. It was an empty room. And when the Shekinah glory fell, it fell into that room, but there was no Ark of the Covenant there. And no one knew where it went. No one knows where it went. People are still looking for it today. And all these things are out there, all these, you know, thoughts and, and all that. And the temple of God was open in heaven. And there was seen in his temple the Ark of his Testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and all, and an earthquake and great hail. Now, not necessarily is this the actual Ark of the Covenant that was on the earth, but we do know this, that any covenant head has the Ark there with them. And we see that it's there in heaven because the one on earth was, was what? It was symbolic of the one that was in heaven, was the type of the one in heaven. But the thing is, there's no need for a temple because there's no divine presence of God because all these things that they had before have been fulfilled in Christ. So in Christ, you don't need to have an Ark of the Covenant on earth any longer. So they have not found it. Now, if they were to find it, if there was some way where they could come up with it, you think God wouldn't reveal it and unveil it and unfold, unfold it so that they can see it? But the point is, we've got a covenant with the living God. And it's a, it's a better one with better promises. Number three, if that doesn't make you shout, like I said, get a new one. So remember, that he's teaching them faith now. So number one, your enemy's defeated. Number two, you have a covenant with God, and God anchors your soul by the covenant that he made with you. Number three, remember your deliverance. Remember your deliverance. Look at the verse in Joshua, chapter five, and verse 10. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover. The Passover reminds them of their deliverance from Egyptian bondage on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. So now you've got your enemies defeated. You've got to cover it with God. And now remember, go back and rehearse how he brought you out of the miry clay. Go back and remember what it was like to bring you out of Egypt, to bring Pharaoh to his knees, to get him to say, let my people go and serve me. Go back and remember you were slaves and your ancestors were slaves. But one day Moses was sent to deliver. He came and those 10 miracles took place, caused really Egypt to, to just bow before the presence of God. You shook it to its kingdom, its kingdom right to the ground. Okay, remember that. But you and I have a better deliverance than what they had. Oh, thank God you and I have been brought out of the realms of darkness into the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. We have a new kingdom that we're living in. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, our deliverance. See, this is once again a type, an example to let us know that we have something better than what they had who had delivered us from 
Not the Egyptians, not the Jebusites, not the Amorites, not the Hittites, not the, all, the, all the ice that were there, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Thank God he pulled us up, he brought us out, and he placed us with feet on solid ground. So he's saying, shout about that, shout about that. You've got no power over me. The walls came down as they shouted. See, but they held their shout until the end. And we'll see that in just a moment. But look at number four. Number four, and I do really love this one. It's a new day. Joshua chapter 5 and verse 12. It's a new day. If you've been eating manna for 40 years and drinking water from a rock for 40 years, and then because you got a little bit spoiled, you wanted some meat and you had quell up to your waist till it came out your nostrils, as God said. When that all stops, it's a new day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna anymore, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. In other words, when they came across and they were at the edge of entering the promised land, they didn't enter in. But those people fled. They went because they were afraid, but they had all their food to eat. So manna stopped. That's significant. It stopped. What's it typify? What's it typical of? John's Gospel, chapter 6. Let's read it. See, they said, we ate manna. They were so boastful about the fact that they ate manna in the wilderness. I mean, this was miraculous. And here's what Jesus says, how he responds to that. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that if a man, that a man eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Hallelujah. It's a new day. It's the day the Lord has made for us to rejoice and be glad in. It's a brand new day. Means a brand new relationship with God. Look in John's Gospel 16, 23 and 24. Jesus was emphasizing this. Notice in that day. What day is it? It's a brand new day. It's a new day. In that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. Hitherto, up till now, you've asked nothing in my name, asking you shall receive, that your joy may be full. And verse 27 says that the reason for that is because the Father himself loves you because you believe that I came out from God. So do you believe that Jesus came out from God? You believe he's the bread that came down from heaven? It's a brand new day, a brand new relationship. What's the relationship involved? You ask your father, and he will give it you. You don't have to go through the back door anymore. You don't need a high priest on the earth anymore. All you have to do is say, Abba, Father, I'm coming before your throne with a true heart. I'm coming boldly to the throne of grace, and I know I have access by grace into this, by faith into this grace wherein I stand. I can come boldly to your throne and receive grace and mercy, and I'm thanking you right now. I can walk right up to your throne, and I can experience fellowship with you because it's a new day. You have to understand it was all those years that man could not approach God on his own. That was impossible. Even the blood of bulls and goats couldn't make that a, po a possibility. Only the high priest once a year could enter in. But praise God, the temple veil was ripped in two from top to bottom. The Shekinah glory went up in the heaven. And now the invitation is for one and for all. Come 
and enter in and fellowship with your Father. It's a new day, praise God. Now, uh, next one, we're not alone. Go back to Joshua chapter 5. These are the lessons that Joshua is teaching these people. You are not alone. And here it is in Joshua chapter 5. 13, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, there stood a man over against him with the sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went down unto him and said unto him, are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship. You hear that expression? This was not an angel. This was the second person of deity, the Son of God, manifested in that way right there before him. How do I know? Because he didn't say, get up off your feet. He let him worship him and said to him, what saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, you ready for it? Take off your sandals. Loose thy shoe, shoes from off thy feet for the place where on thou standest is holy and Joshua did so who was that Jesus that's who it was take your shoes off this is holy ground you're standing on but the point being made is that you're not alone you're not going into battle against these fortified walls and these giants that are there in the land on your own you see, your ancestors thought that they had to do it on their own. They said, we're like grasshoppers. We're like bugs facing giants. We're no match for them. But he's trying to tell them, you're not doing it. You're not on your own. He's going in before you. So he's teaching the people, look, don't try to do it in your own strength or ability. Lean upon him. Look to him. Well, how do I know that he'll do this? Look in Hebrews chapter 13, 5 and 6 from the Amplified Bible. And if you have both versions, this is the AMPC, which is the classic version of the Amplified Bible, but this is what it says. Let your character or moral disposition be free from the love of money, including greed, avarice, lust, and craving for earthly possessions, and be satisfied with your present circumstances and with what you have. For he, God himself, has said. Now who's speaking? God is speaking. What did he say? He said, I will not in any way fail you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. I will not, I will not, I will not, one for every person of the Godhead. God the Father will not, God the Son will not, God the Holy Ghost will not in any degree, in any degree, leave you helpless nor forsake you, nor let you down, or relax my hold on you, assuredly not. So we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently and boldly say, what are they saying? They're boldly saying what God said. God said he would never leave them. They say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be seized with alarm. I will not fear or dread or be terrified. What can man do to me? Hallelujah. What can any enemy do to me? 
notice you're not alone. We're not alone in this fight, in this walk, in this battle. No matter what it is that we are facing, praise God. God said, I will not, I will not, I will not by any degree. Doesn't that remind you what James says that every good and perfect gift from above comes from above, from the Father of lights with whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning by any degree. Not by a smidgen of a degree will God ever relax his hold on you or ever stop loving you, helping you, blessing you, going before you ushering you into with his fullnesses for your life. So he said that and Jesus also said, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Did he not? Well, praise God for that. So we're not alone. Next one to shout about is God's already given us the land. The land is already given. The land belongs to us. Look again in Joshua. And chapter 6 now, we move from chapter 5 to chapter 6. These are the teachings that God taught Joshua to teach the people. Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given into thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. Now think about that. He already gave it to him. He already said in chapter one, I've given you the land. Everywhere you step your feet belongs to you. It's all yours. See, I've given you the land. I've given you the king. It all belongs to the children of Israel. It is yours. And I'm the one that will be the guarantee of it. Stand behind it to see to it that you succeed. Well, aren't you glad that you and I have something even more? Look at 2 Peter chapter 1 and verses 2 and 3. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. Notice the knowledge of God. We have to learn about the things of God and of Jesus our Lord according as his divine power hath given unto us a few things that pertain how many things that pertain to what life and godliness how through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through, through lust. But he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What more can he give us if he gave us all things? It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And so he gave them that land, but he gave us a whole lot more than that. He gave us the kingdom. And he gave us the keys to the kingdom. And he said, in the name of Jesus, we can open up any door that's already been provided for us to open. Every promise that's in this book God who cannot lie spoke by an oath. He swore by himself. Can you see him in a court of law saying, I swear by me? I swear by me. No one greater than I am, so I swear by myself. He swore by himself so you can have an anchor for your soul, so I can have an anchor for my soul that goes all the way into the throne of God, that God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Praise God, it's a fact, it's true. And I can say anything that he said that belongs to me is mine. Anything that we say must be rooted and grounded in what God has already said. He said he would never leave us or forsake us. That we could boldly say, say with me, the Lord's my helper. And the reason why you can say that is because he said it. So what is the enemy? What is the situation? What is the circumstances of, that we're facing in life? Is it a difficulty with a job? Is it a difficulty with a relationship? Is it a difficulty in your, in your emotions and your feelings and that sort of thing? Your physical body, whatever it might be. Whatever it is that we encounter in this life, he says, I will not leave you or forsake you. I am there with you. You can depend on me. You can look to me and I'll see you through the whole situation all the way through to the end. 
And finally, you know, we have this inheritance which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This, these all pertain to Jesus. And the last one, the last one is that we're to do whatever he says for us to do. Obey God even if it is illogical. Because there's not time. But look at uh, chapter 6 once again. Joshua to show you that this is where he taught it. It begins here. We're not going to take time to read through the whole thing. But it shall come to pass. Ye shall compass the city all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thou shalt, thus shalt thou do six days, and then on the seventh day, it goes on to say, you're going to do it seven times, and you're not going to open up your mouth, you're not going to say a word. Do you remember VeggieTales' rendition of this? How many of you remember VeggieTales' rendition of this? Rendition. Remember that? Some of you don't. I need to inform you. So they picture this army walking around these fortified walls of Jericho that were so thick you could ride two chariots on top of the walls and no one could ever penetrate those walls and then he had all the men, the character, these character you know, people, that, cartoon characters that were up there on top of the wall throwing down snow cones <laughs> to the Israelites that were on the ground kind of laughing at him and all that. So, so if you can imagine, just, just picture this. So here is this army, this Israeli army. And the strategy is this. To overcome your enemy, just walk around the walls and don't say a word. You talk about a challenge. You talk about walking around those walls, not saying a word when they're throwing snow cones at you and all that sort of thing. And you're dodging the snow cones. Can you imagine the temptation for them to say, whose strategy is this? Joshua? Joshua? Is this your idea of a joke? We're going to, this is illogical. To walk around these walls every single day for six days in a row and on the seventh day do it seven times. And then you said what? On the seventh day shout with a great shout, with a loud shout. That's what you want us to do? Can you see by the third day? Someone just brought up their little canteen, their, their little um, pickup truck that they had selling duct tape on the back of it for all the people that were, by the fourth day, see they had to just tape their mouths shut. Can you imagine what was going through their heads? This is crazy, this is ridiculous, this is impossible. Why are we doing this? This is absolutely absurd. If they were allowed to talk, that's what they probably would have been talking about. Just like they did the first time they came in. We can't take it, they're giants. Look at them giants. Oh my goodness, they're huge. They're, Mike, they're talking. They're, they're, they're even taller than Ben Sly. I mean, they're, they, they, he... Come here, my brother. Now let's talk eye to eye. Let me get down here. <laughs> Can you imagine looking at those giants, what it would have triggered off with them? This is absurd. This is crazy. We can't be doing it. That by the sixth day, I mean, oh my goodness, they're trying, they're holding back their words. They're not saying anything. Then the seventh day, seven times, by the seventh time, oh my goodness, we've done it six times around. Who knows how far it was? They had their cell phones on. They were measuring their steps to see how far they were going. This is really a good exercise day, Right? And finally, on the seventh time, when it came time, and it was time to shout. Oh, they shouted with a shout, a deafening shout. You talk about a military strategy, just shout. 
And the walls were pushed down, praise God. And everybody entered in and they got their blessing. Whatever he says to do, do it, even if it is illogical. What does James 1.22 say? But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. What did he say to do? Do it knowing this. Look at John's gospel, chapter 2, beginning at verse 5. You know the story. They're at the marriage feast of Cana. And at that feast, they run out of wine, right? And so Jesus has yet to do a miracle, never done a miracle yet. So there's nothing that they can relate to as far as his miraculous ministry. And so his mother comes to him and says to him, you know, we, you need to do something here. They're out of wine. And, you know, this would be an embarrassment to the, to the one that's putting on the party here. And he says, woman, what, I ha- what do I have to do with thee? My time's not come yet. And she says these words, his mother saith unto his servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Just do it is not Nike's original logo. No, just do it. What good advice, Mary. What great advice. And there was set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two of the, or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled up, up to the brim. And he saith unto them, draw now out and bear it to the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and knew not whence it was, thank God. But the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom. And saith unto him, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. Times don't change, do they? (laughs) But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Canaan of Galilee and manifested forth his glory. His disciples believed on him. Can you imagine being the one carrying the water pot? Can you imagine having the responsibility of taking it there knowing you put water in it and they're expecting wine to come out of it? How logical is that? It's illogical, isn't it? It's beyond our comprehension. But yet, if he says to do it, do it. Here's where we miss it sometimes. We don't wait enough on him long enough to hear what he says to do. Because when you know he said to do it, do it oh when Andrew was born and he said fear not only believe wow that became our anthem and that's why he's alive today these are the seven principles that Joshua taught the Israelites under his leadership faith so that they could enter into the fullness of their blessings and enjoy the promised land and you know what It was done for our example so that you and I can also understand our enemies defeated. We got a covenant with God. He brought us out of the realms of darkness into the light of his kingdom. It's a brand new day he made for us to rejoice and be glad in. We are not alone. We're not in this endeavor alone. He's already given us the land. The victory belongs to us. He always causes us to triumph. And whatever he says to do, then just go ahead and do it. Did he say to speak to your mountain? Then speak to your mountain and command that it go so that... All things are possible to him that believes. Amen.